Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Leo and I got divorced in May of 2009. Well, Leo and I had a lot of the same drinking buddies. We, we grew up about a town away from each other. Um, and in those two towns, everybody kind of melded together. Started dating almost immediately. We went ahead and moved in together because that was easier. It was kind of a whirlwind. It was just like, just fun and exciting. Since we both didn't really have a foundation in anything else, it was really easy for us to just kind of immediately become codependent. We were hanging out on the patio like usual, and then he was like, I'll be right back. And he goes inside and he comes out with the ring and... He's just like, ah, will you marry me? And I was like, hey, our lives could be different now. It was just like, you want to you wanna do this or what? <laughs> Five months later, we got married. I mean, it seemed like we were having a good time, but there was still something missing. She would always ask me, you know, why do we get up in the morning? Like, why do we go to work? Like, what's the point of all of this? And I never had a good answer for her. I was like, I don't know. I think I really was just looking for some kind of meaning. And I would try to find it anywhere I could. Like, maybe if I buy some new clothes, I'll feel better. Maybe if I start drinking vodka instead of whiskey, you know, that'll go better and I'll feel better. She began to just sort of isolate herself and just kind of remove herself and just pull back away from me and cried a lot. I could never get to the bottom of it. I could never figure out exactly, you know, what was going on or what I could do to fix it. Um, and so eventually I was just like, hey, um, you know, maybe my problem is you, Leo. Maybe you should just move out. We're done. Divorce. I really didn't even put up much of a fight at that point. I was just so over it and so burnt out. So we threw in the towel. Things just got worse from there. I didn't talk to Leo for about six months and I changed jobs and I moved. I, I drank more. I was by myself more. It, it was just a really lonely time. There was a client I had at work who heard about my divorce and I think he could kind of tell that something was wrong with me and, and he was just like, hey, there's a recovery ministry at my church that, that you might really like to go to. I just felt so sad and I was like, that church guy probably knows some stuff. And he introduced me to a newcomers group and I got the idea from that night that, hey, this Christian thing is really personal. I would cry and listen to worship songs on the way to work, on the way home, laying in bed at night, and then look at how I'd been living and, and just seeing like, oh, this is really sad. I was also like, man, I didn't treat Leo very well at all and I didn't understand him and I didn't understand the situation and I really need to talk to him about that. That takes guts to come and ask somebody for forgiveness. Leo was definitely flabbergasted. He was just like, you, you know, you're really different. I can tell that something's happening and so I invited him to church with me and he went a couple times. I remember being skeptical or, you know, joking about bursting into flames when I walk in. <laughs> and uh, somebody had mentioned that there was a apologetics group for people who weren't believers. It's always fun to have somebody to argue with. You know, that was sort of where I was at. Once he started going there, he kept coming every week. Came the realization that, that there is an answer to these questions. And it was like a weight had been lifted off me and that there is a God and that God loves us and he wants to be with us. I met up with him and he just had the biggest smile on his face and he's like, I did it. And I'm like, you did what? And he's like, 
I trusted Christ. Eventually we started dating again. Our dating got more and more serious and uh, good, like strong believers in my life had kind of continually encouraged me to, to even like contemplate the idea of like remarrying Cynthia and like came to the conclusion that, yeah, like I do want to spend the rest of my life with Cynthia. I've always wanted to spend my life with Cynthia, you know, but now we're going to do it in a way that's healthy and in a way that will bring honor to God. Friends and family, you know, look at us like we're crazy when we decided to get remarried because it's just, it's unheard of. I can't believe today is finally happening. I've been praying for it for so long. <laughs> I bet Leo is so nervous. I'm wearing my hamburger socks. Actually, I'm wearing mixed match socks, it looks like. <laughs> Everyone in this room, we have a front row seat to a remarkable story. This kind of thing doesn't just happen, which begs the question, what makes you think it'll work this time? Leo and I were depending on each other to get the love and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that we needed as people. But now that we know that God is a source of that, we can rely on Him together. He's taken something that was destroyed, was gone, uh, my relationship with my wife, and uh, He's given it back. Now we have a purpose, which is to know Christ and make Christ known. Everyone, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Leo Booker. What a story, huh? So why in the world would we start a series on marriage with a video about divorce? I think the ending tells it all. Um, life without Christ is a life that's just not worth living, folks. But life with Christ in the center makes all the difference. Amen? Amen. There are some folks, when we said we were getting ready to do a series on marriage, uh, that instantly got nervous. Some said, well, I'll come back, you know, three, four weeks later when... You're off topic. I don't want to face some of that stuff. And, uh, and I understand that doing a series on marriage can be fearful. There, there will be some concern in the room. Oh, no, what is he going to ask of me? Or what are they going to see in our home or in our life? Um, but the thing I wanted you to see at the very beginning, the whole tenor of this series, the whole tenor of next weekend at our marriage conference is going to be that Christ brings hope. And your marriage is a picture of something that is far greater than just you as a couple. There is a beauty there uh, that God wants you not only to fully be able to understand, wrap your mind around, but it's a picture of his love for us. Jesus brings hope. Second thing I wanted you to see in this is that testimonies bring hope. Do you know that? Sitting right in this room are testimonies, champions, and you didn't even know it. Uh, in fact, I know uh, in one of these services, we have a couple who uh, is celebrating this weekend 61 years together. 61 years, yeah. In fact, if you are a couple and you've been married 50 years or longer, just stand really quick. This is the Champions Club. 50 years, we have them in the back. There we go. Look at this. Yeah, you can take your seats. 
50 easy, peaceful, <laughs> glass-smooth years to this moment. We can laugh about that because, folks, it takes a, 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 an absolute commitment to marriage in order to be able to make it. And we're going to talk a little bit about the background of that. Because the third thing, the reason we started with this video is that knowledge also brings hope. When you know that there is a place where the answers are, uh, you know where to run when you're overwhelmed. But what are the chances you're going to be overwhelmed in your marriage at some point if you're married? They're huge. I, I did have a few people ask me, we're getting ready to do a series on marriage. I'm single. Uh, what is it that you actually want me to get out of this? I want you to see that the, the world is um, filled with people, right? The only people with purpose are not married people. All of us are called to the exact same um, servanthood and suffering. You just, within marriage, get to look at it up close, all right? But every single one of us are called to relationships. Every single one of us have an ethic that Christ calls us to that causes us to submit ourselves to others that are around us. And so if you are single uh, and hungry to be married, that's actually a, a, a desire that God has put in you according to Scripture. Just keep looking for not the perfect person, uh, but the ways that you can be shaped to be the kind of person that could be in a marriage but also the kind of person that can be in relationship with anybody in the community of faith. You don't find fulfillment in marriage. You find fulfillment in Christ. Amen? You find fulfillment in Christ. Marriage is just one of the tools he uses to knock your rough edges off and make you more palatable to the world. So with that thought, I want us to understand what we're not going to have just one context this morning. I'm sorry for that, but as we walk through Instead of standing, which we normally do to honor God's word, I just want you to listen to these different passages as we walk through and join me in considering uh, a couple of thoughts. Once again, this is just uh, a little bit of spice that you throw in the pot there before we make the stew next week, okay? We're just seasoning the whole thing. So first thought I would have for you is you're getting ready for a series on marriage. First thing that I want you to, to see is clearly in Scripture, and that is that marriage, a marriage that works is a gift from God. By the way, the name for our series is A Marriage That Works, and we intend that to have a double meaning, all right? A marriage that works, everybody wants a marriage that is working well, but you do not have a marriage that is working well unless two people are working at their marriage. That's what it's intended for. So a marriage that works is a gift from God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter two, and you're gonna see that in the very beginning, this was God's intention. Chapter 2, verse 15, and it says, The Lord God took man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. By the way, work before the fall. That was his intention. He had a purpose for you, and that was to give you a purpose, make you part of his plan. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, mark this in verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. 
And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him or suitable to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And the Lord God made the rib that he taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds or cleaves to his wife. And they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. It's the first context that we have, a picture of marriage that is in Scripture. Uh, recall, if you would, that uh, when God is making, in the six days of creation, uh, all of the earth, he says, uh, let us make man in our image. One of the intriguing things, and we could really pick at this passage for weeks and still not mine its depths. But let us make man in our image. Here is, remember, the triune Godhead involved in creation. Now, when you think of the Godhead, how do you label them? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, co-equal, right? And yet, in your mind, do they have different roles? So when he says, let us make man in our image, he says, it is so awesome Spending this time together, doing what we do together, let's make man in our image. Let's give this couple corresponding roles, just like we have roles. And as they participate in what we're doing in creation, they have these roles that they then go on and fulfill. And just like we in perfect unity are able to see these things accomplished, doing different things, but doing them side by side, so let's create them with that kind of opportunity for relationship. The fall removes our desire to be in roles. We, in fact, just want to be in charge. We want minions, not a partner, right? God says, no, let us make, a, let make man in our image. The first time, by the way, that God says it is not good, it's not after the fall, it's here in the garden. If, you have, if you're here and you're single and you have in your heart a hunger to be married, I want you to see that right here in the very beginning, you just have a hunger that's corresponding to the way God created the world. Don't let that hunger cause you to be bitter or overwhelmed or reject God's goodness if you haven't had that hole in your heart filled. But if you have a hunger to be married, you're not wrong. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him, and then he fulfills that, that ache in his heart. Now, notice that it took man a while to figure this out. He brings all of the animals to him in pairs and says, look at these two. Look at these two. Look at these two. And man's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll name that bird, and we'll name that rhino. And, uh, hey, but where's my two? Where's my second one? And then God gives him Eve. It's a beautiful picture. It's an amazing way that God makes man. Not only that, it causes him to sense that there's something more and fulfills that desire in his heart. Another interesting thing from this passage, it says, uh, for this reason, verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife or cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. That word is translated in other places within the scripture as pursue uh, or to cling for life. Uh, it's used one time 
uh, of a man that was in the middle of a battle and he had clung to his sword and he couldn't unclasp his hand because he had hung onto it knowing his very life depended on it. It's used in another place uh, of a group of people with great passion in their heart because an offense has been made uh, and there was danger to the rest of their families. They pursued their enemies all the way into their gates uh, until they knew that there was no longer any threat. But it's that pursuit with passion that is pictured here. This is before the fall. God creates for marriage, uh, he builds into it the expectation that you will pursue one another. In particular, men, that you would pursue your wives every day. You'd pursue them. Um, A perfect marriage still requires pursuit. So I've waited until right now, because I feel like we're into the message, and you may, I'm, I'm hoping at this point I have your attention, okay? So I just want you to notice on the screens right here how you can sign up for the marriage conference, okay? Pull out your phones. Yeah, I know, we're just poisoning the well right now, right? If you get out of here and you haven't signed up, it's because you do not want to go. And just look at your spouse and say, we're not going, all right? But if you want to go, SalemHeightsChurch.org, you pull out your phones, you just get on to SalemHeightsChurch.org. You can do it right now. Grab those things. Pull that out. If you're not registered, SalemHeightsChurch.org. You just get onto there. You see that ugly mug, and you scroll down. If you hit Lagos, you've gone too far, okay? Just keep scrolling down. It'll say Marriage Conference, and then it has a register button on there, all right? It works on your computers. It works on your tablets. It works on your iPhones. It even works on all that other junk you may have bought. Right there, ugly mug, scroll down, marriage conference, connect. If you're thinking about being married, sign up. If you're married, sign up. If you're having trouble in your marriage, we're not going to stand you up in front of all the people and say, look at this problem that's going on here. We're going to show you that Christ has answers for your home. A marriage that works is a gift from God, and we're asking you to pursue answers for it. All right. Second point this morning, a marriage that works is born out of sacrifice. I want you to turn with me just to Ephesians 5 to be able to see this. Put your finger there and also be in 1 Peter 3. These are two contexts in the New Testament that we draw this. But I want you to see that. And while you are turning there, I just want you in your mind to register the emotion. Okay, so get ready. Get your heart ready and listen to these words. And I just want you to register what flutters through your heart or what passes through your mind when I say these words, okay? Submission, feel it. Good, warm thoughts, right? Sacrifice, servanthood. I just want you to register in your mind. Do you remember when those words were words of high honor and you said, man, if I could just find something that I could give my life to, we used to talk about that when we talk about terms like chivalry. Do you remember the old advertisement that they used to do for the Marines? They didn't just let anybody in, remember? It used to be, do you have what it takes? Do you know what sacrifice it takes in order to be a Marine? Do you know what you're going to have to do your first in and your last out? You just can't sign up and be a part of us. This is the few, the proud, the Marines. Do you remember that? And they told you right up front. You're going to start on your first day with a punch to the throat, and you're going to keep going until you're tough, and you're serving, and you're ready to give your life for somebody else. 
That used to be a high calling. It's not just that we become soft as a society, but it's because we have become so self-focused. We've actually changed that idea to poison. We say if you attach yourself to another individual and you say, I'm going to serve them, I'm going to submit to them, I'm going to sacrifice for them, that you actually have lost yourself. What Scripture says is that's when you actually have found yourself. And look at the context. Uh, By the way, uh, there was a a research. I'm going to stand up for this. This is really crazy. In, in Aust- on Australia, they did a, a research of 7,500 singles, and they asked them, what is it that you actually are looking for in a spouse? And they said, I, I want somebody that is beautiful or handsome. Okay, that's good. I want somebody who I have great chemistry with, and I want somebody who is uh, low maintenance. There it is. Yeah, you know this. Anybody in here low maintenance? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, low maintenance, yes. Now, I'll tell you when you're low maintenance, okay? Yeah, but you're not there yet. We'll have the service and you'll be low maintenance. Low maintenance, low maintenance doesn't happen. There's no such thing as a low maintenance person. People around you have gotten used to you, but there's no such thing as a low maintenance individual. Chemistry? That's really, uh, that's important. That means that just whenever you want, right, they're just going to be there. They just, uh, they have love in their eyes. And uh, due to the people in the room, just think about that for a moment. In fact, let me just, uh, as a side note, nobody has instant chemistry, okay? You don't have instant chemistry. Nothing, does, nothing works out perfectly the first uh, week of life. You have to learn that. Have you ever noticed these uh, jazz musicians and they just uh, interact so well together? Have you ever watched as they are up there interacting with each other, they're smiling, and and where one drops off, another one picks up, and they play the perfect notes, and they're engaged with each other, and, and the music just seems to flow, and it's awesome? Do you know how they get there? Hours and hours of practice. Selah. Chemistry takes work. It takes commitment, and it takes you focusing on that individual for a long period of time till you know them well. The sacrifice of Christ is the centerpiece. The commitment that he has for us is the centerpiece of all these contexts. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 5, when we get to 22 through uh, 33, it actually focuses on um, wives and husbands in that order. But I want you to notice the context, it says, in chapter 5, verse 1. In fact, it's carrying over from 4, chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. But it says this in 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. This is a command. As dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrifice and a fragrant offering to God. Uh, if you have the opportunity, you can just listen if you haven't got your finger there, but in First Peter also, First Peter 3 is the challenge that Peter gives to wives and husbands. Uh, but I want you to also notice there in uh, chapter 2, verse 20 through 3, 2, it says this, what credit is there when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. 
And you're like, okay, what is the point he's making? Verse 21, for you were called to this. Get this. You were called to suffer, and our world has given us a great opportunity for this recently. You were called to suffer and endure it for Christ's sake. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. How hard is that? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. That means we always, by the way, are not paying attention. When's the last time you really were great at devotions? That you spent time undiluted, focused on the one who gave his life for you. We like sheep were going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, They might be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. Flip to verse 7 of chapter 3. Husbands, in the same way, what same way is he talking about? In the same way that Christ sacrificed. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner showing honor as co-heirs to the grace of life. What is it that he is saying? There is something inherent in your nature that is going to struggle with giving yourself up. And you're going to look at God and you're going to say, God, why are you expecting this of me? You first. You do this first. And Jesus says, okay. He served. He sacrificed. He submitted in order that we could have eternal life. And he says, in the same way, I want you to put on display the kind of love that I gave to you in your marriage. Sacrifice of Christ is at the center of each marriage. Every context on marriage, it starts with that picture of sacrifice and submission. Another thing I want you to see this morning is we're just going into this. Remember, we're just scratching the surface, not digging down deep. These are just basic thoughts on marriage. But a marriage that works is a school for advanced discipleship. A school for advanced discipleship. First thing. Uh, back to that First Peter 3 context, if you're there. If you're not, uh, just listen. I'll read it to you, First Peter 3.8. But it exposes our faults. I want you to listen to this. Uh, 3, uh, 8, and 9 say this. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called to this so that you might inherit a blessing. It exposes our faults. Do you want to know why he has to give that as a command? Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Do you want to know why he has to say all those things? Because we tend to do the opposite. We aren't like-minded. We get a little irritated. We keep a record of wrong and we start throwing darts. Or maybe that's just me. Isn't that hard? It exposes our faults. The underlying assumption is that when you get two people in close proximity, at some point there's going to be friction. 
Why is that? Is it the other person's fault? Tim Keller, when he was uh, invited to Google, gave uh, this great illustration. When he was 10 years old, he was sitting underneath a bridge, and he actually saw these trucks coming across it, and he said, as the trucks were coming across, he saw the, the bridge flex, and dust was coming down. He said, why, as a 10-year-old, I was allowed to be under that bridge? I have no idea. He said, but I can remember seeing the bridge flex and dust coming down and just thinking, that thing is going to collapse. We have a picture here of what happens when you, uh, you don't actually pay attention to the weight restriction. This truck is uh, sitting there. That entire bridge has collapsed. It's, uh, well, at the time, it was a 120-year-old bridge. You end up with a, a complete collapse. Why? Is it the truck's fault? What happens is the weight of that truck exposes a weakness in the bridge. The weight of a relationship, the weight of your business expectations, the weight of just having to make life happen begins to expose faults in the individual. You already have faults. Every single one of us has cracks in our personality, all right? And the weight of a relationship, your spouse is just giving you an opportunity to see your faults, okay? <laughs> just turn to your spouse right now and say thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you for exposing those faults. Uh, this is the thing. It's not the sp spouse's fault that those cracks are there. It's on you. It's on you. You got to get that right with Christ. You have to have some engineer come in and take care of it. Not the truck, the engineer. The other thing I want you to see is uh, advanced discipleship class. It will accentuate your differences. In Genesis 3.16, and I'll read this to you, it highlights what happened as a result of sin. And here uh, the Lord is speaking to the woman after they've both eaten of the fruit and it's evident that sin has entered and it says, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. By the way, to the man he says, and you will grow things with painful effort. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Two different words that are used there. That word desire comes up, by the way, just in the very next chapter as God is warning a young man that sin's desire is crouching at the door. It desires to rule you. It's that same word. Um, your desire will be for your husband. Literally, you will desire to rule him. Use your wiles or your ability to control that person, and he will rule you. It's actually the idea of to kind of pound the chest and rule by force. Both of these are sin. The desire to control and the desire to respond out of anger or irritation is what Peter in 1 Peter 3 is trying to say we need to push back on. Don't be somebody who controls through a lot of words, through a lot of irritating, piercing statements, don't be somebody who controls by a show of force or an irritable blast to say, get in your place. Serve, suffer, submit to one another. This is the pattern that it calls for. It accentuates our differences. There's an old trope, uh, and it's been well used, but it's worthy of reminding ourselves of when we talk about our differences. Uh, 
two people are looking in the closet. And when a man looks in the closet and says that he has nothing to wear, he means that he has nothing clean. When a woman looks in the closet and says, I have nothing to wear, she means she has nothing new. All right? Our differences just get accentuated from there. I was uh, in Guatemala, and I was actually highlighting uh, differences. I said, but you know, it might be different down here. Why don't we just highlight some of the differences between male and female? They began to make these lists, and it was extensive, and it got longer and more loud. And then I said at the end, well, which one is better? And they're all shouting now, and it's husbands and wives in there. Women are better. Men are better, Right. As soon as we start highlighting our differences, we start drawing lines and showing which one is better. But do you want to know that God designed us for life together to be a completion to each other? Not different because one is better than the other, but different so that we complete each other in those areas. I almost created a fight right there. I didn't do that ever again. (laughs) How can God use those differences is the question I use now. It accentuates our difference, but also marriage tests our resolve. In Ephesians 5, as uh, Paul is speaking there, he, he sums up his entire statements to them and says, this mystery is profound. And he's talking about wives submitting to husbands and husbands giving their lives for the sake of their wives as Christ would give his life for us. Says this mystery is profound when I'm talking about Christ in the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Uh, in the Amplified version, it actually says, to sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife, giving himself up, pursuing her, taking care of her needs before your own. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Amplifying, basically taking that language and saying as it's used in other places, it would be appropriate to add those thoughts in there. This will test our resolve. Men, do you actually give up of yourselves and sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for us? Women, do you have a a deep and abiding respect for your husband that everybody can see No matter what he's recently done, does that respect fill the room when other people are around? Does he feel respected when he's in your presence? It'll test your resolve. And finally, it'll change you. Uh, There are two ways to shape rocks, and Scripture indicates that we're a lot like rocks. We've been using that picture here. Uh, You can blast them or you can tumble them, all right? Now, I've actually heard about guys, uh, my dad and I were talking recently about guys that can shape charges. Uh, They can actually uh, plant dynamite in certain areas, in certain ways, and having studied the structure, they can blow rock out so that it'll land in piles in certain areas. They can blast it so that it lands in certain sizes. Uh, They do all of this testing. But nonetheless, when you blast something, It's not as comfortable to be around. Everybody around ducks their head, right? There's another way to shape rock. You can shape it by blasting it. You can also do a rock tumbler. You go to the beach. They sell these all the time, and I've used this illustration many times, but this is still the thing that I want you to be able to wrap your mind around. How do you get a smooth rock? You pop that in the tumbler, and over time, first it knocks off the rough edges, 
And then if you uh, just kind of add to that picture there, the oil and the uh, grit of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, it, it gets added into this mix. And as you're just tumbling and tumbling and tumbling, those rocks become smoother and smoother. Now, you may be able to blast and get some shape in your family, all right? You might be able to blast with a few statements and force people to get right exactly where you want them to get. But when you see the smooth rocks, there's a reason they sell those at the beach. People want to pick those up and take them along with them. A person who has been shaped because they have stayed in a relationship and stayed in close proximity to another individual over time. Have you ever, speak to some of these folks who have been married for 50 years. You want to know what you're going to find? People who had rough edges, who you actually want to sit down and talk to. You want to walk a couple miles with them. You begin to listen to how uh, they view the world. You begin to interact and watch as they relate to their spouse. You see that there is a smoothness and a kindness. You pick up a smooth rock and you want to put it in your pocket and say, man, I just want to be with them for a while. People who have been shaped by being in close proximity to other folks have a softness, a kindness, and you want to walk with them a ways. God has provided an opportunity for you to be that kind of person right in your home. He's given you that opportunity. It'll change you. It's not if. But if you allow it to be a rock tumbler instead of a blaster, you're going to turn out smooth, kind, and approachable. Final thing I have. Marriage that works is a gospel magnifier. In all of these contexts, it comes back around to the gospel. It says that when you begin to apply the gospel in your marriage, you begin to radiate the gospel to the community around. I remember reading of one pastor in England, and he was trying so hard to get some of his neighbors to come. And finally, one of the neighbors came to the church uh, when they were having an outreach event. Um, and he asked him, he said, well, you know, what was it finally that got you in? And he was thinking maybe it was the event. They were having pie or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was a very English thing, you know, like that's exciting. We're going to have pie. And uh, they're going to have pie after church. This guy shows up and he says, well, it has nothing to do with your event. He says, actually, the reason that I came to church was I've been watching you for the last three years with your wife walk by. And every single day you're walking with the kids, uh, dropping them off or on your way to work. And I listen to the kindness with which you speak to her. And I've been listening through the fence to the way that you would uh, approach a street or get ready to cross. And he says, there was never a crossword. You guys were always walking as companions. There was love in your heart. And I thought, what kind of God produces a walk like that? I was curious, so I came to see. The gospel in your marriage will allow you to apply grace. But when you apply grace in your marriage, it radiates that gospel truth to the world around that's hungry for relationship. Amen? So may it be, Salem Heights, that through this series, we'll learn not just about each other, but we'll learn to get our eyes on Christ so a hungry world will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us as we talk about marriage and as we spend some time uh, just really digging into what it takes to make a marriage that works. I pray that you would help us. Uh, help us to be able to see you at work, first of all, in us and in the world. Father, for those that are here and are single, 
or those even, Father, who are divorced and are, are overwhelmed because they're concerned. Either they've missed their opportunity or somehow this could not be for them. Father, help them to sense in the very first place is your grace, your love, and your desire to complete their story. Father, for those that are married and are hurting, I pray that you would allow this series not to be an attack, not to be more law, not to be more expectations, but to actually be an opportunity for them to be filled up with an opportunity not just to apply grace, but to receive it in their own home. Father, I pray that your spirit would flood those broken homes with a sense of your presence. Father, for marriages that have been working well, I pray that in this season they would reflect on your goodness in keeping them together, how it was you all along. Help them to rise up and give you credit and help bring other couples who are hurting along with them. Disciple us, we pray, through this series. In Jesus' name, amen.